Hello and welcome to our eighth episode of the Thank You and Good Night podcast. I'm Julia. And I'm Emily. And today we're going to be discussing Benjamin and May. And we have a lot of really interesting takes that we're going to offer in which we compare and contrast Benjamin to Joel and May to Midge. We also may talk about everyone's favorite pot roast making Methodist punny pan when we get to the May section. But just because, unlike Benjamin, Joel does have, or unlike Midge with Benjamin, excuse me, there is another person in between uh, Midge and May. Also, there may or may not be references to Gilmore Girls. Julia has an interesting theory about Benjamin and Max Medina. So if you haven't watched Gilmore, we apologize in advance. All right, let's get into it. Naturally, I think it would be good for us to start at this point by talking about Benjamin because he does come up in the second season. Uh, and this is where we really get a first look into Midge's first real relationship since ending things with Joel. So Emily, if you want to go ahead and start talking about Benjamin, then be my guest. Sure. I think one of the interesting things is really the way we're first kind of sold on Benjamin isn't through Midge herself. It's through Rose, um, which I think is interesting in the sense that, like, and we'll talk about more how Joel and May become a thing and how, and we've talked a little bit about Joel and Penny in the Joel episode, but in every single situation with Joel moving on past Midge, like, the person who's drawn them and that person into their orbit is Joel himself, right? In fact, Moish and Shirley hate Penny. Moish and Shirley have not met May, but I'd be interested to see how that goes. But inversely... Midge only starts seeing Benjamin because her mother literally refuses to shut up about it, right? They have the whole, the first like flirty back and forth scene between Benjamin and May is, or Benjamin and Midge, my God. That would be a really interesting <laughs> This is going to be so hard for me to identify. The first awkward flirty banter we get between Midge and Benjamin is Midge talking about ways she wants to kill her mother. I, like, I just, I think it's an interesting, so I think it's an interesting thing that, like, I don't know if Midge, at the time we meet Benjamin, is actually ready to move on from Joel. Because she's not actually putting herself out there. She only does it to appease her mother. And while I do think she genuinely enjoys spending time with, with Benjamin, he literally doesn't rate when she gets the call from Shy. Like, at all. And Shy gives her, like, an explicit, like, are you sure you don't need to think about this? He doesn't rate when he calls, doesn't rate when she tells Susie, doesn't rate when she goes shopping, doesn't rate until Abe comes back. And I think, again, an interesting parallel to Rose being the one to introduce them. It's not until Abe says, I give you my permission, you can marry him, that Benjamin even comes back into her mind. That we kind of bookend Benjamin's beginning and end in that way, in that relationship with her parents. And so I think one of the interesting things to me about Benjamin is the fact that, like, Benjamin seems to be removed in a way. And I, I think that relates to, I think, a point you're about to make, which is that there isn't really a lot to Benjamin other than he's nice, he's not misogynistic, and he's wealthy. 
Yeah, and that's exactly it. I think that Midge does not have the opportunity to fall in love with Benjamin, and I don't think it's because she wants to allow herself to fall in love with Benjamin, because one of the things, and of course we have to go back to Midge's relationship with Joel, one of the things that her parents tell her is, get him back, right? Her father says. Yes, but collectively, because Rose is on Team Abe. Rose at that point is crying in a different bedroom. Mama, can you stop crying? Goes to a different room. Much better, thanks. But, but they're on the same page, largely. Get him back. Right, yes. Right? And so her parents want her to be with someone. And to your point about Midge trying to appease Rose in dating Benjamin, I think that's what a lot of that comes down to. It's the expectations from her parents that she be with a man. It's society's expectations that she be with a man largely. And it's part of her expectations for herself because that's the only life she knows, that she has to be with a man. But at that point... Like you said as well, Benjamin doesn't even rate because at that point she's starting to realize that she can be self-sufficient. And I think the turning point for her is when she hears Lenny Bruce's All Alone set that she comes to grips with the fact that she can in fact be all alone and that's something that's fine for her. It's just a tough pill to swallow because she's so used to being with someone else. I actually don't think she's My take on the All Alone set is I think she realizes not that she can be all alone, that she will be all alone. And my reason for that is she explicitly tells Joel, the decision I made when I took that job was that I will be all alone. And I think it's this. I think she's realized, particularly in the way that she goes back to Joel immediately post-Benjamin, right? Like, we're not even sure when exactly she writes the Dear John Leonard to Benjamin. That's not explicit. It, when J- Benjamin comes back in season three, which we can talk about that yeah. in, in, later in this episode. But whether or not it's before or after she's written the Dear John letter to Benjamin, she comes back to Joel and says, I, I will be all alone. I think she's, I think, and I, everybody knows that I'm not necessarily team one person or another. I want Midge to figure out what she wants in her life before she even thinks about another man. But I think Midge realizes watching that set that the person she wants to be with Joel has explicitly said, I can't be with somebody who does comedy. And by choosing to do this career, which she has, when she turned down the man, Benjamin, who she wasn't in love with and didn't want, but who was okay with her doing comedy, I think she realized I'm choosing to be alone because I'm choosing you, but my career, which you can't be, I can't have both. That's interesting. And I never really thought about it like that. Um, So I I take your point. I hear your point. I just feel like it's also the reason why I say I feel like it's the turning point is because, again, to what you said later on, she's choosing comedy, which to me means that it's her acceptance that she can be self-sufficient. And this is the first time that she puts into perspective, you know, it's okay for me to do this. It's never something that I'd 
thought of before, but it is okay for me to do this. Right. And I'm not arguing that. I definitely agree with you. I think that's when she chooses, I'm going to be a comedian before I am anything else. Yeah. I 100% agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I think my, I think where I see it differently is it's not, I'm okay with being alone. I think she genuinely thinks she will be. Mm-hmm. Because I, because it's been made explicitly clear multiple times throughout that season from Joel. Right. Like, I will always love you. I will always support you. Right. But I can't be with you if this is what you're going to do. Right. And when she has that moment at the end of All Alone, where after choosing for that phone call, like, to go and be on this tour, she, I think, has made the executive decision that, like, I'm going to be a comedian, and that means I'm going to be alone. Right. Because the only person up until this point, and I will say, to give Benjamin credit, like, I, I don't think we've seen another character on the canvas who would be equally okay with what Midge does mm-hmm. as Benjamin was going to be okay with. And he makes very clear when she comes back in the third season, when he comes back in the third season, like he was not going to make her give up comedy. Right. And if the one person she sees who wasn't going to make up her, make her give up comedy in order to be a spouse is someone who I think you're right. I don't think she really loved. Then like, why, why attach myself to somebody? Right. And it, <laughs> To, to that point about her not really loving him, I don't think she was opening herself up to it. Like I said, I don't think she wanted to allow herself to fall in love with him. Um, and she might have loved him to a degree, but she never fell in love with him. There was such an inherent difference between the two. And I think that's made also really clear when we're seeing the flashbacks to Joel's proposal to her when Benjamin is asking her father for his permission to marry her because... Joel's Joel's proposal was totally spontaneous, did not ask her father for permission to marry her, kind of swept her up in this whirlwind romance. Uh, And I think that's the contrast where you can see that Benjamin appears to be a lot more, you know, to to the textbook definition of good guy trying to do things right and you know follow the rules play by the rules whereas Joel does not play by the rules Joel is inherently trying to sweep her off her feet and succeeds in doing so and I think that's why she fell in love with Joel in the first place whereas Benjamin is so much more regimented and she does not want to fall in love with that type of regimented behavior I was gonna say I don't necessarily think that she doesn't necessarily want to fall in love with it i think she thinks i think she thinks she is until she realizes when she gets the phone call that like he doesn't write and i think had she and that's why i say i don't think she was ever in love with benjamin i think if she was ever truly in love with benjamin he would have rated before abe shows up and says i give you my permission 100 like, percent. There, no cho- there was there was no question about that she didn't even make a choice she knew exactly what she was going to do well immediately. she literally didn't think about him at all yeah. like he does not like you can see in her face the oh f moment when abe is like i've made my decision and she's like what decision the decision what other decision are you waiting for from me and then she's kind of like oh right this thing, this thing that I have been pressing for because I thought this is the thing that I wanted. Oh yeah, that thing. Which clearly, I, I think it, it's reflective to me of like, and I don't know how many people have experienced this, but being in love with the idea of someone more than the actual someone. Yeah, exactly. I think Midge was in love with the idea of having this, having this life back, which I think Lenny Bruce very clearly points out earlier on than the All Alone set, right? 
on that date where she takes him to see him at the comedy club. And he's like, you really want to go back to making jello modes? And she goes, I make a hell of a jello mode. And he goes, I don't doubt you do. Mm -hmm. Basically saying, like, you aren't going to be able to put this genie back in this bottle. And, like, it's great if you find a guy like Benjamin who's totally fine with the fact that you're not going to put the genie back in the bottle. But, like, you seem to be looking for someone as if you believe that that's life you still should want mm -hmm. when it's not what your life is anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think to your point, I think the reason why it's Rose who's pushing it so forcefully more than we ever see Midge forcing it is I think it's it's it aligns with again I think that's still Rose's idea of what the world should look like is because that's the way she hell was probably she was probably raised stricter than that but like <laughs> you saw the fact that in Oklahoma they didn't even let her take off her own coat I mean like we <laughs> say certain things about like how like we've had the conversation about Rose being a feminist and all of that but like I definitely think there was a certain extent of Rose wanted to get her daughter out of I mean, at this point, she doesn't know comedy, but, like, I, I do think that she wanted her daughter to be taken care of. I think she also wants somebody else to be in charge of those children. Oh, yes. I mean, that's the other thing. is like, we don't, we know that Benjamin sees Ethan because Joel has a hissy fit. Yes. Uh, that's the word I'm going to go for. Uh, he has a hissy fit when he finds out that he accidentally met the children. At the park, yeah. At the park because Rose sent him there. Mm -hmm. Again, Rose pushing it forward, not Midge pushing it forward. But we don't even see him with the children that are supposed to become his stepchildren. Mm -hmm. Because, once again, those children are only being taken care of by the Weissman and Zelda. And when I say the Weissman and Zelda, I mean being taken care of by Zelda. With Rose occasionally making an appearance and Abe turning off the television making them scream. <laughs> Not wrong. You're correct. <laughs> well, okay, but we also know that Moish and Shirley take care of the kids. No. We know that they see the children in the third season because they're all under one roof. And we know Shirley wants to see the children more. <gasps> I'm never going to get to see my grandchildren. You'll always have the grandchildren, Shirley. Sure, as a concept. <laughs> and then when she sees the children, give Grandma Shirley a hug. It may be a long time before you see me again. So we don't actually know how often Moish and Shirley see the grandchildren. Touche. <laughs> I have a feeling they see the grandchildren more often than Shirley would let you believe they see the grandchildren. <laughs> But no, the only time we actively see Shirley taking care of those grandchildren is when Rose is in the house with her. Yeah, that's true. For the most part, my understanding is Midge has custody of those kids until she goes off on tour, in which mm -hmm. case then it does go to Joel. Mm -hmm. But my understanding is her mother mainly takes care of those kids because Midge has custody. Mm -hmm. But again, that is yet another black hole in the Maisel universe we, we don't, know. don't know about. We don't know. It's never been explained to us. Thanks a lot, ASP. It's like the timeline, which we are going to do a timeline episode because I have put this thing together <laughs> as much as one can put this thing together. <laughs> in case you can't tell, this is the first time we're sitting in the same room doing this since we've started this podcast, since we started this in quarantine. Oh. And it's probably getting a lot more off the rails than our normal podcast we're for that reason. Cuddle. We're doing really well. <laughs> We're doing so well. Oh my so goodness. much material for our bleeper episode. <laughs> How about you go into your Max Medina theory? Okay. Um, interesting. So I think that Benjamin is the Max Medina of Maisel. And I think that 
Amy Sherman Palladino has a way of recycling characters and character tropes, and I think that Benjamin has to be the Max Medina because of everything that is his personality. I don't think there's much substance to him. Um, he's a doctor. He's a doctor. He's very rich. He invented new surgical techniques under the age of 35 and is widely published in medical journals. <laughs> he did do that. <laughs> I'm he's, sorry. He's very rich. Um, and that's pretty much it. I mean, his personality trait is being very wealthy. We And not being a misogynist. I think he has he, two personality traits. Right. Which, given that we're dealing with the late 1950s, or late 1950s, early 1960s. It's I, pretty remarkable. Not being a misogynist is a character trait. Yes, agreed. <laughs> it's not a bar, like, it's not the bare, I mean, it is the bare minimum for humanity, but like. Totally. I am including, he is rich and he's not misogynistic. And I'm with you. That's his character. Totally. A hundred percent. But, but he doesn't have much else to offer. And in the same way that Max Medina is kind of this attractive option for, you know, Lorelai, it's not this, what is to be desired in a romance. And you can really tell in the way that the characters interact that there isn't much love behind the relationship that has developed. Like they might be a good person and they might be this ideal pedestal person that looks really, really great on paper and as close to perfection as one can be, but they're not inherently perfect for the, uh, you know, the other in and of itself. So, like, take, for instance, because, you know, this is a Maisel podcast, I'm going to focus more heavily, obviously, on Midge and Benjamin. Take, for instance, you know, the fact that Midge and Benjamin go on all of these upscale dates, you know, whether it's to an, to the... Lizzie Borden To the, well, to the, yeah, to the Lizzie Borden musical, which they absolutely hate, or to, you know, this art show, Um, and then you know, end up in Declan Howell's, like, studio somehow by Midge's incredible grace and poise. But, you know, Benjamin is flaunting the fact that he's so cultured and an art collector and everything. And this would seem like an incredible person to want to be with. But at the same time, Midge also has this need for someone who is inherently not perfect. I think that Midge herself likes to fix people in a way and is a very domineering type of person, hence her relationship with Joel, because she was an, a completely type A individual and always made sure that Joel had everything accounted for. Whereas here, Benjamin is sort of the type of person who is willing to provide for her, is going to be more of the person who would make her a jello mold type of wife again um and you know she said she had the idea that she would be able to swing on down to the comedy club a couple times a week and that would be enough for her and that's what she thought would be enough um but has realized you know that she wants to be a lot more self-sufficient than that so you know he could look good on paper but doesn't give her what she needs to be a perfect match I think that's interesting. I I think the thing I will add is I do think he has more going for him than just he looks good on paper. And I say this because we know based on the third season weird plot twist that doesn't come without a whole heck of a lot of explanation. And I'd be interested to see how in the fourth season they develop this. But apparently Rose is like the best matchmaker in the history of the universe. I mean, like... 
according to the show, the only couple that has never worked out is her daughter and Benjamin. And Benjamin makes very clear is, no, Rose didn't get it wrong. And I, I don't think the show would have that be true in the same time and say, like, it, they're only a good match on paper. I think what ends up happening is what Rose says is, I thought my daughter was weird and just wasn't the right weird. And they both kind of come to the conclusion that, like, where Midge is and who Midge is now is beyond whatever relationship and partnership he could give. I do think he could give a genuine partnership. I think you're right. I think the partnership would look much closer to a traditional relationship than even what Midge and Joel's was, particularly because you're coming in a situation with a much higher provider than Joel. Not trying to diss Joel and his position in his uncle's company, but Joel wasn't a doctor who was widely published before 35 with new medical techniques and was able to sell his townhouse for a loss in order to move closer to the hospital and owns so many different kinds of artists that Midge non-ironically is joking about him being colonialist when he says he owns people. Like, I, I, he clearly is coming from a wealth background that I think probably eclipses even that of Rose's family, truly. Because it seems like he comes from money and has made his own money, right? The idea that, like, when he goes, don't worry, I'm very rich, and Rose goes, that isn't helping, I think kind of hints at that. I think by, in particular by having the person who was the wealthiest of the Weissmen be the one who, like, is on the receiving end of someone far wealthier than she is, like, pointing out the fact that there's a wealth problem. So I long-winded way of saying, I think there is also a class thing built into this. I think the expectation he would have had while not making her give up comedy in any way, shape, or form. And I do think he wouldn't have had a problem with her going on tours. Like, I think it was mid she got in her head. Like, I have to only do it at night, like, once or twice a week. Right, and while he said that, too, he said that, too, when they had their meeting post her Dear John letter in the third season, uh, you know, when he said, you know, you didn't even ask me about that. Yeah. He's like, it would have made it. I do genuinely think he wouldn't have expected her to give up anything. I do think he would have expected, though, when she was there, to be a lot more like her mother than I think she's even willing to be in the sense of, like, we do know definitively from what we know about Rose and Abe that Rose goes to the parties and does all the hosting and all the cleaning and, and things that we don't even, like, Midge enjoyed hosting a party because Midge enjoyed a good party. But Midge never enjoyed being her mother, which was, like, planning all of the social interactions and forcing all of the, you know what I mean? Like, Rose doesn't enjoy a party. Rose enjoys having the one-upsmanship of the party. And I think you see that kind of idea in Benjamin when he's one-upping everyone at the art gallery and he's one-upping everyone at the pub. He doesn't enjoy what Midge does. Like, he doesn't enjoy being social. He enjoys the clout of being at the top of the social hierarchy. Mm -hmm. He's a Rose-like figure, mm -hmm. right? Midge and Joel, and I think Archie and Imogene and some of the other characters we've seen, enjoy the party, not the social hierarchy. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I, I think Abe and Moish and Shirley don't fit in any of that. I think they're people who would honestly prefer to be away from people if given the chance. Yeah, I think so too. I don't think, I don't think they fall into that classification easily. And I don't think we've seen enough of May to know where May falls. Yes. Um, we'll get to May later in our episode. But just, you know, in terms of... I think that's also a difference that you see. And I think that's another reason why they weren't compatible is they're... I think they do work than more than just on paper, but I think the relationship that they would be building in more than just on paper 
isn't in a place where Mitch is anymore. And I don't think Mitch has realized it. And I think that's part of the reason why Mitch is checked out. And my final comment here before you can, you can bring us to a next spot is Rose pairs them up before she knows her daughter's a comedian. Mm-hmm. Like this starts before Midge goes public. The art gallery episode actually is the Yom Kippur dinner. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot happens in that episode. You have the art gallery, you have the Declan Howell, which I think actually might be more of a turning point than the All Alone set. Um, and we can get to that maybe in a different episode. But I'll allude to it here since we talked about earlier. I think her seeing the painting that he put his whole life and everything into, and that's what's standing, and the fact that it's, He's lost everything, but to quote him, but at the end, look what exists. I think, I think it's the first time that idea ever enters her head. I don't think it's the same level as the all alone set, which Midge credits when she talks to Joel. But I do think it's the first time she ever entertains the idea that jello molds aren't enough. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, especially because she, I, I guess you know, has this realization that you can put your heart and soul into everything and that would be enough. Um, You don't need the other things in life to necessarily make you feel complete because, as we know, he put his blood, sweat, and tears into that painting and that painting is literally what he has. Um, So I I guess that's fair. Um, But to your point about rose you know making all of this happen before it was known that there was a comedy career here i actually think that's really interesting um and i think this kind of adds to the fact that you know midge was fundamentally shifting who she was as a person because at that point she's also booking bigger gigs within the cat skills than what she's yeah. been used to she's fundamentally changing as a person and this is when we see her actually getting more serious about what is to come in this potential comedy career so that element of not knowing that this career exists because this career could be viewed as a roadblock to a lot of potential suitors in the era i think is really important to take note of because you know, we're looking at a situation where she is becoming more self-sufficient, like we have already talked about. And if she's becoming more self-sufficient, right, then you can't also expect her to hold down a more traditional relationship. And I think, to your point, Emily, the fact that she is being pushed so much in this direction by Rose, without Rose having the knowledge that she's becoming more self-sufficient, makes Rose more likely to think that a perfect match would be one in which Midge is going to go back to being a jello mold making woman. Well, and I don't think because she doesn't know about the comedy, she, like all Rose knows is she's working a job at B. Altman she doesn't particularly like. Like for, and that's all Rose knows. She likes the independence. She likes the money. But for all Rose knows that might just be because she doesn't like spending time with her parents. Right? Like, Rose has no way of knowing at the time she is pushing Benjamin that there is anything below the surface. As a matter of fact, you see that in the Yom Kippur dinner, right? Like, Rose spends a fairly long amount of time trying to reconcile the fact that Susie was the plumber at Steiner. 
which is one of my favorite sequences. You were the plumber at Steiner. I'm not a plumber. I'd say so. <laughs> Look, I don't see how your pl- can we go back to the fact that your manager's a plumber? I don't see how those skill sets interact. Like, I do think it's the trajectory of what Rose says at dinner versus everybody else who's arguing. Rose only addresses Midge, and it's very, very particular things. The first is figuring figuring out Susie is the manager and the plumber, and so figures out it's going on at least since the Catskills, which is why she turns on Abe. Did you know about this? Right? Because Rose starts putting things together, like the fact that he came back one night and was very, very different. In the way that he, right, like, she's a very smart human. We've seen her make these connections. And so you can see that's the first thing. She figures out how long this has been going on. And then the second thing is, well, if you're going to do this, I want you to be doing this as well as humanly possible, right? I'm not sending my daughter off to be, if you're going to be in Rose's wards a whore, because that's what she thinks a comedian is, you're going to have the best damn manager for your whoring that anybody's got, <laughs> right? Because that's at least, like, if my daughter's going to do this, she's going to do this. And then the third thing is, does Benjamin know? How does this impact your relationship with Benjamin, right? Like, even for Rose, who's the one who shoved this idea down her daughter's throat? It's still the third thing in her list of priorities. Behind, I want to make sure that you're successful, right? Like, if you're going to do this, I want you to be successful. And then, oh, wait, 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 does the man know? Right? Which she doesn't get an answer to, really. Because at that point, Moish and Shirley and Joel and Susie are all jumping in. And who's Benjamin? Listen to your husband, right? And the rabbi walks out. We never really get an answer. I mean, we as the audience know because we've seen the way that Benjamin's reacted to this, but we don't see Rose really get an answer of any sort. Mm-hmm. And I think that also, to your point, Julia, is the interesting thing. Like, we know Benjamin's okay with the comedy career. We know that he's okay with the comedy career because he finds out about it on their first real date, right? And like, huh, okay, well that, and weird. he, he weird. Thinks it's weird, but he, he thinks, thinks it's, it's okay. weird, but like the weird is what he wants. Yeah, he exactly. doesn't want someone who is exactly. his perfect match. And I think he goes into it assuming Rose knows his daughter's a comedian or her daughter's a comedian. I think it's also something that there's a disconnect there. It's like, I think he thinks the weird is the comedian. Mm-hmm. No, Rose just knows her daughter is not like any other stereotypical housewife. And I think that's the disconnect. I don't even know if Rose would have recommended if she'd known about the comedy. Mm-hmm. Because again, it's the third thing on her list of priorities. Mm-hmm. How long have you been doing this? Are you going to be successful while you're doing this? Because if you're doing this, I want you to be successful. And oh, wait, what about that man? Mm-hmm. And I also think that's interesting. The way that Benjamin routinely rates so low. Like, I understand that he was a serious option. I understand what he represents within the arc of the show but he never really rated high enough for the show to ever imply there were stakes long-term stakes because i don't think that there ever were long-term stakes again if we think about what benjamin has he's got money and he's not a misogynist he doesn't have much to offer so again irrespective of how perfect he is he's not the right fit for her right I think what he... Given her evolution. I mean, he might have been had she not been doing comedy, right? But given her evolution, given the reason why she's not Joel in the first... She's not with Joel Joel in the first place, who is her right kind of match because that is the kind of personality she seeks. That's what she wants. So in her eyes, that is her perfect match. There's a reason why she's not with Joel at all, and it's because of her evolution. Yes. 
Benjamin, the same way, would be her perfect match, if not for her evolution. Well, I think because I don't think she wants that. No, but I would make the argument that if the evolution didn't happen, she wouldn't have needed a Benjamin. So I, I think Benjamin, I think Benjamin is the perfect. I don't think that I think it doesn't work with Benjamin because she has evolved past where she'd evolved from with Joel. So I think Joel's doesn't work because she's a comedian at all. Right. And that's what Joel makes clear. I can't be with somebody who turns my life into a joke, even though I know I'm not a joke. I just, I can't. Right. So the first evolution is from stay at home, anything, self-sufficient, anything into a comedian. That's the first evolution. So she's at the point where she's just a comedian, right? She hasn't committed to being the next great thing, hasn't committed to touring and all that comes with it, to being on her own when she starts dating Benjamin. But by the time we get to the end of the season when she's engaged to Benjamin, she's had that evolution, right? I think Benjamin is the perfect match for a midge who's a comedian three or four times a week and goes on small local tours. But I think you're right. She's evolved by the time we get to the end of the second season past that point. Mm -hmm. And at that point, neither of those men work. Mm -hmm. Because Joel is still the perfect match if she doesn't do comedy. But she's now even past the point where even giving up comedy is an option. Mm -hmm. At least that's how I see it. But the show never treats Benjamin with the same amount of weight. It treats the Joel question. Mm -hmm. Right? There's always a will-they-won't-they with Joel that doesn't exist in the same way with Benjamin. And I understand that part of that is the fact that they're always going to be tied together. That and also... But like, there are no... But there's no long-term... St- there were no long-term stakes with Benjamin. Right. And, and I think that fundamentally comes back to what we were saying earlier about loving a person versus being in love with a person. Like, once you're in love with a person, you never really truly forget all that that person had to offer which is why i think she keeps going back to joel in the first place but like with benjamin that was never really particularly there in the first place because again maybe she loved the idea of being with benjamin but she herself did not actually fall in love with benjamin because she could not allow herself to fall in love with benjamin to transition into Joel's second serious um and I think well first serious second post midge relationship with May um who we get introduced to in the third season hence why May's going second in terms of the episode because I I know there's no rhyme or reason the way we do things around here but we figured we might as well use chronology once um hey like the show's timelines ours is no sense we're, we're chaotic. We're chaotic. That's ASP, why you listen. ASP, if you're listening, just know that we take after you. <laughs> anyway, so I think we're going to transition to May now. And I will desperately try not to confuse her with Midge again. Um, although this is going to get a lot harder as we talk about the difference with, differences between <laughs> Midge and May. I swear I'm not drunk. <laughs> we're doing so well today. <laughs> this is going like gangbusters. Um, so I think the best place for us to start with May is, I think, in the areas where 
May is different than the other two people we've seen before in the show. And in terms of people in Joel's orbit, which is the fact that May is someone he's met completely outside of college slash university. We're not sure how he met Midge, but I think, I think the best guess is somehow related to school because at least Midge was in school when they met. Again, we don't know how much older he is. We don't know anything about how they met, really. But we know that they were dating while Mitch was in school. So it's someone outside of that. It's someone outside of his family and his work, which is how he met Penny. This is him striking out on his own, on his own dream, in a different part of town with different people than he's used to, where he meets May, who on the surface seems like a very different creature than everybody else we've seen in the show. Until you realize she is a strong, self-made, self uh, self-propelling independent woman like somebody else we know on the show and I think that's a great place for you to start off all right um so I guess yeah I can just really begin with comparing May to Midge because that seems like the perfect place to kick it all off before you know going into the the penny discussion but you know we have May, who is this spunky little quick-witted thing who is studying to be a doctor, is trying to be self-sufficient, is fundamentally pulling all the strings to make everything work for Joel in his new pursuits with the Button Club. And like Midge, May will literally do anything to help Joel succeed in his business venture. Now... Midge would also help Joel succeed in his business ventures. For instance, when she told, you know, she was helping him, we see in a flashback, she was helping him convince his father, you know, that he did not want to go into the family business and wanted to do something different. Um, understandable. Understandable. <laughs> <laughs> um, Should have gotten her off. But, you know, helped with that business venture. Right. Uh, the pop, or the brisket. The brisket. The, would the better pull times. All the, yeah, would pull all the strings with better times, would listen to his sets and coach his sets, take notes on how many laughs he got, The et comedy notebook to get jokes from... Yeah. Just to help him succeed with his other potential ventures, which, you know, to her at the time with the comedy... She thought it was a hobby. He wanted to make something more serious out of it. So in a way, she was acting more so as a business partner. But all of that aside, again, was doing whatever that she could to help him succeed. So Joel somehow is ending up back in a position that he walked out on in the first place because it was becoming too much for him. And so I think we're really starting to see that Joel, in all of his beta glory, really needs to rely so heavily on a woman who is independent, who is strong, who is a doer and shaker, who manages to pull the strings so he can succeed, because that's the type of woman he needs in order for he himself to also be a success. And I think that drives a nice point, what you're saying is like, that he ran away from white necessarily is he coming back well unlike midge who goes straight from joel to benjamin joel has a little detour her name is penny pan and she is not like these other two in any way shape or form 
she plays the submissive traditional role, right? I mean, she's a secretary who doesn't know how to sharpen pencils. I'm not saying anything about that other than like, she's a secretary, so that's a traditional female role in, in terms of the, t at the time, right? When, that was a traditional job woman had in the workplace. She, when they move in together, plays house, does the cooking, right? It, it is, is in a lot of ways, the Methodist version of Midge as a housewife. Not as a business partner and not as a life partner, but in the other senses of it, right? And we see his parents judge that harshly, right? Like, no, that's not the girl, no. In a way that I think both of his parents understand he needs someone like Midge or May to push and help him because bless his heart, um, that's the Southerner in me, bless his heart, he absolutely can't survive on his own. He just can't. Um, he needs somebody to help him. And I think that, like, just like Abe couldn't survive 30 seconds in the wild, Joel can't survive 30 seconds in the wild without somebody else to take care of him. And I think he realizes that after he leaves Penny. I think Penny shows him, I think he's with Penny long enough to realize that like, that doesn't work. And so I think when he comes to the conclusion that I'm always going to love Midge, but I'm never going to be with Midge again, he swings in that direction hard. It's like, all right, I need to find a Midge replacement. And not in the sense of like replacing Midge exactly. And I'm not saying that May is Midge because I do think there are important character differences which we can get into in a minute. But I, I think your point of like, you know, he goes and he replaces Midge with someone who does similar things is exactly right. And I think the reason why we see that is unlike Midge who doesn't have like another relationship to kind of test the waters as to, well, what am I looking for? He does. He like swung hard left and went, you know what? I'm going to make a U-turn here. Make a U-turn at the next leg. <laughs> Just kidding. This isn't what I want. <laughs> right. And he has that revelation in a way that I don't even think Midge does with Benjamin. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe it's because, you know, in a sense, like, Benjamin is still the traditional male role, which Midge had been accustomed to. So... To that point, you know, there is no deviation here, whereas Joel sees something totally unique, and he, as a beta, ends up with someone who is even more of a beta than he is, and realizes that he cannot be with a beta. <laughs> right, which his parents realize, <laughs> and, like, pointed out. Yeah. Both of them separately, by the way. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think there's something so interesting on this show, and I know we've had this conversation before, but, like, I feel like May is yet another woman who plays into this, of, like... The men on this show, with the exception of Moish, don't seem to be able to survive without the women. Mm -hmm. Like, genuinely. Yeah. I think all of the women could just be alone and be totally fine and self-sufficient. I don't think there's a single man on the show other than Moish who could. And I'm including Noah in this, by the way. Yeah. Noah, right? Noah, the, Noah the CIA agent. Noah, Archie, they both count. <laughs> right? Like, Archie, de Archie definitely can't ship. survive without Imogene, as we see by the fact that, like, he loses it when Imogene threatens to leave him and kind of emotionally walks out on him. Not a right? Archie can't survive without Imogene. I don't think Noah can survive without Astrid, and I say this fully aware that Noah is a CIA agent. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> it's a secret. That he shouldn't have told his wife. <laughs> I'm just saying... Astrid is, I love Astrid, but Astrid is weak. I mean, let's be honest. I don't think I've seen anybody run circles around anyone on the show faster than I've seen Rose run around Astrid. You really don't want your mother to find something out? Don't tell it to Astrid. I love how she announced it at the press, too. That's my point. Astrid, 
not like he's in the CIA or anything. Uh, everybody. But I'm saying, like, even Astrid, right, I think does a lot to pull a lot of the weight for Noah based on the way we've seen with Noah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think... I think May is yet another in a long line of women on this show who either do or don't fit the traditional female stereotypes of what is expected of women at the time, right? I think Rose and Imogene are the women who fit the traditional stereotype. I think Midge, May, you know, Susie are women who don't fit the traditional stereotype. Mm-hmm. But I think all of, the one thing all of these women have in common is like, you could put them by themselves somewhere and they'd flourish. Mm-hmm. In fact, they have. Mm-hmm. Susie is flourish managing Midge's career. Midge is flourished as a comedian. We see Imogene flourish in the receptionist class after she loses, after she kind of decides she needs to become independent after what Archie gets up to. We see Rose flourish in Paris. We see Midge, or we see May flourish by herself while she's studying to be a doctor and helping Joel set up his club. Like, we see all of these people flourishing by themselves and we don't see it with the men. In the same way, right? Rose runs off to Paris. Apes has a freaking conniption fit and melts down, right? He, he, he quits both his jobs in the same day. Like, dude. Mm. Joel can't do anything without a woman's hand guiding him. And literally. That's not self-sufficient. That was my, that was my next point, right? Moish might be the only one. And that's what I'm saying. Moish is the same himself. Moish is the only one. And I would make the argument that inversely, Shirley is the only woman who doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to be Mm self-sufficient. They're the only couple or pairing on the show where I see a genuine bonafide representation of what we expect the traditional role and what the traditional norm for the era would be. Everyone else is an inversion of that. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think that May fits into that category. And it doesn't surprise me that when Joel is looking for something serious and long-term, which is what he's looking for post-Midge, although we don't see him actively looking, that of course his head is turned by someone who is similar enough to Midge that it fills the same role of someone to help him and take care of him, but different enough. Midge, as much as Midge hates, I'm using air quotes for those of you who can't see, hates her parents, Midge is ridiculously attached to those people. They are codependent. Like, that family is codependent. I love the Weissman very, very, very much, as as everyone at this point knows. They they are a very codependent family. As much as they all butt heads all the time, like, the, at the end of the day, you know that you mess with one of them, you mess with all three of them. Mm-hmm. Or if you mess with Noah, you mess with all four of them, right? May doesn't seem to have that kind of bond with anyone. Like, we know she as knows. As far as we know. As far as we know. She knows everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows her. Everyone's a little terrified of her. She's kind of scary. Oh, she's very scary. I will get into my theory that Midge, that May is the mixture of Midge and Rose in a second. But um, she doesn't have a tie to somebody else, which makes her, I think, uh, or that we've seen so far, which I think makes her very different. Mm-hmm. Particularly for someone like Joel, who, again, is in a similar situation with his parents that Midge is with hers. Which... God, when May meets the parents. I cannot wait for Shirley and May in a room together right now. Is May going to meet the parents? Please. I need, oh, I to, need know. to know. Also, what does is, what is May do with Moish and Shirley? Yeah. Like, how does is, she handle them? Like, how does somebody... Like, we've only ever seen what happens after people have known Moish and Shirley for a long time. We've never seen anyone new ever meet Moish and Shirley, really. Like, we get a little bit of it with Penny. But, like, the implication there is because it was his uncle that they kind of knew loosely them before, right? Mm-hmm. Because... Moish knew enough to know it was Penny Pan, really, that he was sleeping around with, right? Mm-hmm. 
So, like, there's the implication that they kind of knew each other and not... Anyway, I'm going to see someone brand new just generally meet Moish and Shirley. Anyway, that's that's separate conversation. Because I feel like that's just, like... Anyway. But, but also, do they even know about May right now? Do they know about May in the first place? That's an interesting question. We don't know. Do... What are their thoughts going to be about May? Because May is not a nice Jewish girl. No, she is not. And... You could argue that the reason why they said no to Penny was that Penny was not a nice to Jewish be, girl. To be fair, there are a lot more similarities between Asian culture and Jewish culture, but she's still not an MJG. And I'm not, and I'm not doing that in any way other than like I'm just yeah. stating. I'm not yeah. trying to be derogatory. I'm just no, stating I'm, a fact. No, I as as a Jewish woman, I'm giving my input. <laughs> no, and that's totally valid as a Methodist. I'm much closer to Penny Pen in that regard. I'm not anyway. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, there's that difference, but I think also the main difference is comedy and, and being a doctor, while both are fields that women were not in at the time, and that there still are inequities in today, and it makes me sad that that's a sentence that even is coming out of my mouth, have that in common, right? They're not women's worlds, but other than that, have absolutely nothing in common. Yeah, and fundamentally, May was set out to be this independent woman in the first place because she made the conscientious decision to go to medical school. Right. She was never going to be the traditional housewife. Right. Midge was, at one point, the traditional housewife before she realized that no longer worked for what she needed. Right. And again, I think for someone like Joel, who I think still is trying to run a little bit away from his family... And who I think is swinging harder in the midge direction after seeing Penny Pan, right? I think someone who is independent, maybe in part because she doesn't come from the support system of a family like Midge did, you know, I, I, I as think far is as appealing. We know. As, as far as we know. And, I, and I'm aware that when I say this, we don't know that much about May. We don't know that much about Moish and Shirley, really. Although I don't know what else there is need to know about Moish and Shirley. Other than they are a tornado. <laughs> right. But I'm just saying, like, I think May suffers from the fact that May is attached to the secondary character in the periphery of the story, if that makes any sense. Not saying that, like, Joel is a lesser character. with He's one of the main five. But he does, but May does suffer from the fact that right now she's the quasi-love interest who may become permanent of the ex-love interest who's tangentially related to as Midge takes off. But even that we don't know because, again, we don't, we also, based on what we have in terms of information about May, we don't know how serious Joel is about May. We know he likes her a lot, right? And we know that he comes to a point where he calls her his girlfriend. Yeah. That's all we know. We don't see how that happened. We don't see what that relationship dynamic looks like, what they're like outside of the button club. We don't know. Right. And I will say this one thing, and then we can we can move on to something else about May. Um, and it's going to be a little critical here. And we've kind of had this conversation a little bit in our Joel episode. Um, we had it, I know, in a rape episode. There were parts of the third season that feel like they lack a little bit of development. And I feel like one of those areas is the button club in particular. Agreed. And because May only exists within the button club universe, I feel like at this point, all we know about May is what we basically said. And 
that's even less than what we knew about Benjamin. We knew enough about Benjamin to know the fact that we don't have any other characteristics to ascribe to him is as a result of the fact that his only purpose was to be cute and charming and rich and not misogynistic. But we got enough development to know that. We don't have enough development of May as a full-fledged character outside of the button club to know that. I'm not saying that she isn't in herself a richly drawn character. And I think part of the reason why that is is because most of the show, most of what we see is seen through Midge's eyes up until we get to the third season. Then we have this entire arc of Joel's independence because Joel is still an incredibly important character and we do have this desire to know what is happening with Joel. But that's kind of put on the back burner to what is seen through Midge's eyes. So we're still seeing the world through Midge's eyes, but then we also get a tiny glimpse into what Joel sees. Right. But that glimpse into what Joel sees is insufficient to paint a broad picture, especially given that he is part of the main, you know, five characters. It's insufficient to paint a broad picture of what his life is starting to look like post-Midge. Well, I think the interesting thing about season three and what you're saying is it does split between the midge pov we're used to in seasons one and two and a multi-person pov in season three with midge's pov being the primary pov then Susie's pov and then you have this weird splitting of povs in what i would argue is about roughly equal parts but because Abe and Rose spend so much time locked together in you get Moish and Shirley's house. It seems the like the two of them, yeah. yeah, you get the Weissman and the Maisels, except for when the Weissman run off to Miami and then they join back up with Midge's POV. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think truly Rose, Abe, and Joel get equal amounts of POV time. I think it seems like the Weissman get more because there are two of them mm-hmm. and they join up with Midge in a way Joel doesn't really get with the exception of his showing up in Vegas. Mm-hmm. He gets Vegas, which is about three quarters of an episode. The Weissmen get about half over two episodes in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Midge comes to live at the house for a bit. So there's a little bit picked up at the end of the season. Which does kind of deal with the amount of time we see of the Weissmen's universe um, versus Joel's universe. But there is, you're right, there is that splitting of it. And like when I, I want to make very clear, I think May herself is a fully fledged character that we see. I think Stephanie Shu does a phenomenal job. She's awesome. Creating this character, integrating herself into a universe in a very successful way because I can't even imagine how difficult it'd be to try and join that ensemble. Yeah, after, after it's been running for two right. seasons. And in the way she joins it, knowing that you're you're joining it for a very particular reason in the sense of like you're joining as kind of Midge's replacement in a way. May is in a lot of ways is Midge's replacement. And so that is its own unique set of challenge. And I want to make very clear, I think the character herself is fully drawn. And I do feel like we know things about the character. We just don't know what her function is in Miz- in the Maisel universe outside of like being, being the in- girlfriend. Right. And I'd like to know that a little bit more than we do. And we at least got a little bit of that with Benjamin. Not much with Benjamin, because like I said, the show never put any stakes into that relationship. And I don't think the show was supposed to put any stakes into that relationship because it was destined to fail the minute it took off. Right. And I think that that is a different thing than the May relationship. I I, I don't think the show's put any stakes in the May relationship, but I don't think that's because the May relationship is designed inherently to fail. I think that's going to be a good place for us to wrap up here. Um, 
thank you for sticking with us as we kind of rambled our way through that episode. This, I feel like, is a particularly uniquely chaotic episode for us. But hopefully we gave you guys some things to think about when it comes to the secondary love interests within the Maisel universe. Join us next time as we look at the show two or the show the show two the show teams. I was gonna <laughs> join us next time when we look at the show people within the Maisel universe, specifically the fictional show people of Sophie Lennon, Shy Baldwin, and Reggie. Did we ever get Reggie's last name? We don't know Reggie's last name. Well, and Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> Time, please follow us on social media. I individually am on Twitter at, at the Weissman. And I'm at Mazelos. And together, our podcast is at both on Instagram and Twitter at TY and AND GN Pod, as in podcast. Neither one of us are Mrs. Mazel. Thank, Thank you, you and, and good night. night.